Please turn to Exodus and chapter seven, or turn on to Exodus and chapter seven, however you've been equipped. Have you ever looked at the, the skyline of Dublin and, and noticed some of the really dramatic new buildings that have gone up in the last couple of decades? Th these are powerful cathedrals of, of wealth uh, and prosperity right around us. Vast campuses even. Uh, look at Dundrum or look at the Docklands. Each of these campuses, these buildings, dwarfing some of the church cathedrals that once dominated the, the landscape for centuries. Like that, sometimes God appears eclipsed in the dazzle of such displays of power and wealth. Intimidating, isn't it? When your teachers, your friends, most people you know even, suggest that faith in Christ, trust in an almighty, sovereign God, is nothing but a faded or dwarfed relic of history. Well, here's a message from the Bible for all of us living as we are in this climate. Here's the message. Remember the sovereign Lord who will save his people and judge his enemies. Remember the Lord. Now, now if you've been with us, that's what we've been learning from the book of Exodus. That's the Lord is the one who rescues, who saves his people. And, and take a look at the account that Dorothy just read for us. Uh, first, in that second half of chapter seven, we've got what someone has called an advanced summary of a battle that's to follow. In other words, here's a little snippet, a glimpse of what's about to unfold in the next few chapters. And then at the end of chapter seven, starts plague after plague after plague in a show of power in which, if we're watching carefully, and in fact, we can't miss it, there's only one sovereign in complete control, and that's the God who rescues. So here's our reminder as we read. People like us who follow the Lord, let's remember him. Remember the sovereign Lord who will save his people and judge his enemies. Now in this passage, there are at least three things we're gonna find ourselves doing. So that's where we're headed, three things to find ourselves doing. Firstly, um, what we're doing is, well, we're reading, aren't we? We're reading that advanced summary. And here it is, the Lord triumphs, yet people still refuse to listen. The Lord triumphs, yet people refuse to listen. Now, picking this up in chapter seven, verse eight, um, you can see that Moses and Aaron, they listen to the Lord's directions, verses eight and nine, and then for a second time, remember, if you skip your eye over to chapter five, verse one, that's the first time they went to Pharaoh. Now they're going back a second time. Now watch this closely in the Bible. What do they do exactly? Watch it closely here. Look at verse 10 of chapter seven. So Moses and Aaron, what did they do? They went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Quite simple, isn't it? They went to Pharaoh, not with their own agenda or ideas, but they did just what the Lord had told them to do, which was the start of chapter seven. And then across the hallway, as they approached Pharaoh, here he sits, the king of Egypt. And along with his servants, 
still in verse 10 here, he watches two very ordinary men take an extraordinary step of obedience. They're obeying the Lord, you see. And look what they do. Aaron's staff, we're told, becomes a serpent. It really is quite extraordinary. Two ordinary men approach the king of Egypt and Aaron puts down his staff in obedience to what the Lord says and it becomes a serpent. Now what does Pharaoh do? How is he going to respond? What does he do? Well, look at verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, and we're told here, the magicians of Egypt, they also did the same by their secret arts. For each man, verse 12, cast on his staff, and they became serpents. So, so you can see the contrast being set up in these couple of verses. Pharaoh, you see, summons his, not ordinary men, but the very best Egypt can muster, the wise men, the sorcerers, the magicians. They're very far from the ordinary folk. And, and what do these special men do? Well, verse seven, we're told they do the same. The start of of verse 12 specifies what that is. Well, they cast down their staffs, which become serpents, plural. And how do they do it? By their secret arts. Are you catching that contrast here? On the one side, you have ordinary men acting in simple obedience to the Lord. And then on the other, you have this extraordinary brigade of all Egypt magicians using secret arts to, to conjure something up at the demands of their king. And so we have this powerful display, a power that's rising up and and for a heady moment almost eclipses what Aaron has just done in casting his staff down and it becoming a serpent, singular. I want you to picture the, the multiple serpents now writhing around the one solitary serpent that Aaron has cast. And then suddenly the Lord triumphs. The writer here in Exodus, he's almost abrupt. Look at the end of of that verse. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. That's it in the text. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. We've just witnessed, you see, in this little incident, a preview of what's to come. Victory belongs to Pharaoh? No. Victory belongs to the Lord over Pharaoh. Peter Enns, one of the commentators, he writes this, and hopefully it'll go up on your screen. He says, counterfeit power, although real power, is not lasting power. Isn't that interesting? Counterfeit power, although real, is not lasting power. And neither the Egyptians nor the Israelites should be fooled by appearances. I'd add one thing to that. We shouldn't be fooled either. All those high-rise power symbols around us, cultural movements, they are strong. They are intimidating. If you've sat in that lecture hall or sat with that group of friends, this can dazzle even us. But, but what we're in danger of not evaluating is whether or not these powers around us are, in the words of the commentator, lasting. And the Bible shows us again and again that they'll eventually get swallowed up. 
Bible reminds us where victory lies. Remember the sovereign Lord who will save his people and judge his enemies. Remember him, people in Black Rock. If if you're struggling with, with, with that idea at the moment that the Lord is still in control and still sovereign and will eventually win the victory, I want you to read and and think about these chapters of Exodus from chapter seven on. Ask yourself if your life really exhibits some kind of simple obedience to the Lord or a kind of nervous pandering to the great and mighty forces around us. Which is it for you? Are you obeying the Lord or, or really shaken and pandering to other forces? And whatever the result, when you do think of your own life, of that self-evaluation, I want you to pray. Even right now in the quiet of this place and in the quiet of your heart, pray for a new resolve to remember the sovereign Lord who will save his people and judge his enemies. Well, there are two conclusions from this very short paragraph in chapter seven. The other one from this preview is summarized in the sad words of verse 13. Have a look at them. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And as plain as what must have been a shocking display of his serpents being swallowed up by Aaron's staff, and as plain as that was, well, Pharaoh resists it. He can't even let himself think about it. And the description here is of a hardened heart, hard heart, hardened heart. And that description's repeated all the way through these chapters, uh, multiple times. And, And sometimes Pharaoh, we're told, hardened his own heart. Sometimes God hardens his heart. And sometimes, like here in verse 13 of chapter seven, and again in the very next verse, chapter seven, verse 14, we aren't told exactly who does the hardening and yet hard it is. When the water from the Nile turned to blood, when the frogs and the gnats and the flies come, when the animals die and their skin aches with boils and the hail falls and the locusts and then the darkness, Pharaoh refuses to listen to the sovereign Lord. Maybe he didn't have a choice, some people say. If, if, if the Lord hardened his heart, as in chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 20, chapter 10, verse 27, chapter 11, verse 10. So if the Lord hardened, hardened Pharaoh's heart, well, then what was his role in the actions that he took? See, that raises, secondly here, one of the, the most important things that we must understand from the Bible. We need to ponder this. We need to think about it. There's a tension And it's very important that we get clear on this as we study the Bible together. Both of these things are absolutely true in Scripture, and we must hold them in tension. Here are the two things. God is sovereign, absolutely. He's in control over nature, which comes at us again and again and again in the next few chapters. It's at his bidding. God is sovereign. And he's also sovereign over our actions. And and the Lord is the one who can harden Pharaoh's heart. 
So the Lord has complete sovereignty over nature and over everything that goes on in Pharaoh's heart. He's sovereign. And yet, human beings like us, well, we're still responsible for our actions. Do you see the tension there? God is sovereign. Human beings are still responsible for their actions. You see, Pharaoh's not off the hook. He's still culpable. And it's sometimes described as him hardening his heart. For example, in chapter eight, verse 15, it's Pharaoh that hardens his heart. And both these things are true. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility for our actions. Think about that as these verses unfold. And so as the plagues are described one after another, God's sovereignty is underscored and and still responsible for Pharaoh's refusal to listen. He both hardens his heart and is hardened by the Lord. So those things are both happening. Now, as you think about these things, this is repeated again in Scripture in so many different areas. But here in Exodus, you might be asking why. What's the writer showing us in this book? What's going on? Why that repeated refusal? Why is this so long drawn out, so stretched out in refusal and then almost giving in and then not in refusal and plague after plague? Well, look back to the start of chapter seven with me where the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Look look at verse one of chapter seven. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So why is this going on here? Well, in his amazing sovereignty, the way the Lord makes all of this take place, including the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and those constant refusals followed by more plagues, all of this is about the revelation, the disclosure of who God is. Look at that verse five in chapter seven. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, God says. I want us to think about that. God's main concern, what is it? It's not to to furnish yours or my personal happiness. God's not about my prosperity. God's purpose is to make himself known. You see, suddenly in Exodus, we have our, our view of God expanded. And as we understand this, as we get again this comprehension of who God is, what he's like, that grows, enlarges, deepens our comprehension of him. God is sovereign in everything, and he must have my attention, my respect. Everything around us in creation does what God says. Even the water, as we heard about earlier in the reading, the water of the life-giving Egyptian Nile, well, that's at his bidding too. It's all under God's sovereign control. And and all of these powerful acts in these next few chapters, from chapter seven all the way up, all these plagues, all of them take place 
as God determines to act and save his people. You might have picked that up. He called them my people out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Remember? Remember the Lord, the sovereign Lord who will save his people and judge his enemies. I'm surrounded, absolutely. I'm surrounded by those new cathedrals of the 21st century. But it's even more serious than that. I'm infected with an inclination for my own survival, my own pleasure, my own happiness, my own life, and all of that has taken me away time and again from worshiping our sovereign Lord with my whole life. Have you noticed that too? And I'm a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. But I get nudged. I get intimidated. I get distracted every day. Do you know what my chief end is most of the time when I'm honest? My chief end is often to serve myself, enjoy my life, and pursue happiness. Isn't that awful? And even with a veneer of Christianity and all the words and the fairly okay life choices, my chief end is often to serve myself. So we read this summary of the big events in chapter seven, the big events of Exodus, and we get to ponder again the Lord's sovereignty over nature, over actions, and something has to confront us as it's confronting me right now. The Bible's driving us back. It's driving us back towards worship, not just coming back to in-person services, although it's hopefully driving us here too, the desire to be back with each other, to obey scripture, don't give up meeting together as some have done, come back. Yes, the, the Bible's driving us here. And as lovely as it is to see your wonderful faces, although I, don't, I can't see most of them, but I can see most of your faces on most of them. And we get the chance to chat together and remind each other of our faith and sing and stand together and pray. But the Bible's driving us back to worship in the whole sense, the biblical sense, with all of our lives noticing and respecting and then turned in simple obedience to the Lord, driving us back to remember the sovereign Lord. And that's the message here from Exodus to you and to me. 20 years ago, I was on a missions team in Peru, South America. After one pretty ropey bus journey, um, we were going up the side of a mountain. I didn't know where I was switching back and forth. I thought we were gonna go over the edge on many occasions. Well, finally we got to the top and we clambered off and we were just about catching our breath. But a few minutes later, we came upon a sight that left us clamoring for breath once again. Some of you will have seen it in pictures or even visited, but there was Machu Picchu, the lost Inca city up in the mountains. And, and it's an amazing sight carved into the side of a mountain. And, and with that view right in front of me, I, I kind of forgot the stomach issues that I'd been having, um, which were, by the way, aspirin-related rather than the altitude, but that's another story. Um, I'll tell you that another time. 
But I forgot all about those stomach issues. And the people I was with, well, we stopped talking and we all took in or tried to take in that amazing sight that had just opened up before us. I hope you'll join me and look at the plagues and then leave with a lesson, not about how, how bad and hard Pharaoh's heart was. That doesn't seem to be the intention of the writer. No, you see, the plagues, what are they doing? They're a revelation of the sovereign Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who'll judge his enemies and save his people. Look what God can do. And now I can take that revelation, that wonderful sight of who the Lord is, my vision expanded of who he is, and I can go with it into the rest of the Bible, into the rest of God's word, from the rescue of God's people from Egypt to the definitive move of rescue at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to come with me back to the cross again this morning too. Look at God can do. Look how his sovereign power is incredible. And he died to save you. Come back to the cross. Uh, the hymn writer helps us here. Listen to these words. Behold the lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and we remember. The promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross, so we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the king.